This is a HeadGum Podcast. Book publishing is a glamorous world, Andrew, filled with money, privilege, and three martini lunches. You or say, is it? Craig? Yeah, yes, it is. It is, Andrew. Mm-hmm. If you're like us, Craig and Andrew, and want to dive into the messy power struggles, scams, and unfathomably bad behavior within the book world, then I recommend I, Craig, checking out Missing Pages, an all-new investigative podcast from the Podglomerate. It's hosted by literary critic and publishing insider Beth Ann Patrick, who spills the tea on some of the world's most famous and infamous book figures. Ooh. On this week's episode, writers' dreams of wealth and fame don't always mesh with the publishing industry's reality. With help from a literary agent and a cynical ex-publishing professional, Beth Ann breaks down the lifespan of a book and the overworked and underpaid workers who make the industry barely run. Missing Pages is worth the hype. I mean, where else, Andrew, can you hear about your favorite authors, publishing insiders, and a circus of NYC media elites telling the real story, unfit for print and perfect for podcasting? It sounds pretty good, Craig. You're right, Andrew. Go ahead. Find Missing Pages wherever you find podcasts. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And I'm here. You're here. We're getting into it. We're getting into it now. We are this getting... Ba- this baby's not due for like a month, but this this thing, this guy could drop anytime. Yeah, it's like and- you you see little teases on Twitter that like maybe Beyonce was listening to a song and then mm-hmm. like an album could come any minute, a fully mm-hmm. formed album. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the life I'm living right now. Yeah, it's great. I'm trying to read the tea leaves and then trying to throw them out because they don't mean anything to me. They're just tea leaves. They're just leaves, know. everybody. I don't, I don't know, know how how what the deal is. <laughs> if you know how to read them, let me know, but I do not. I know how to read books, which is what we do here on Overdue. Andrew, explain yeah. the premise of the show for the folks at home. Every week, one of us reads a book that we've never read before, and we tell our friend about it. Yeah. And then you all get to hear as well, also. Yes. We will s- probably spoil some stuff in this book, though it's not a, a plot-heavy book. The book this week is Among Others by Joe Walton. Um, There's just some stuff at the like end of the book and in the middle that's like, Kind of cru- crucial to what the book is up to. Um, the thing about our, our spoiler warning, and this, I don't know if you noticed that the app Pocket Cast, which actually is the podcast does it app trim that it? I use. Um, no, it was, um, they did a a curated list of, of book podcasts and we're on it. Oh, yeah. And this is, uh, Beth Ann Patrick is writing this. Oh, yeah. And uh, she says that... Uh, only with Overdue will you find a couple of book nerds discussing Elena Ferrante in 2022 for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think when we're like, yeah, we're going to spoil this book by Joe Walton that came out like 11 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> That's just what I'm going to think about all the time. Okay, cool. Because That's... it's a very, very kind and sweet slam on how <laughs> on how far behind we are. <laughs> That's fun. Mm-hmm. Um so this book was a Patreon recommendation from a listener, Karen. Thank you, Karen. 
uh, who said, among others, by Joe Walton, it's a book that seems up your alley, young adult, sci-fi fantasy-oriented, readerly, uh, and in a meta way, super well-suited to the nature of your enterprise, because it's about a young teenager who reads a lot of books and gives us capsule reviews of them. Maury, a Welsh 15-year-old whose twin sister has died, is displaced and lonely and finds solace and friends through books, especially sci-fi and fantasy. She also talks to fairies. The fairies are not like what you think of as fairies. She may or may not be a reliable narrator, but she is a completely engaging one. Are they so when I think of what when you think of fairies, what do you think of? Um, I specifically think of the ones from Zelda. Like if you yeah, if you're I was just gonna like, say, hey, listen, that's what I think of. When I I, think of it's fairies. like the thing like the pond in the original NES one mm-hmm. where they're floating around and if you have a bottle you can catch one. Like that's the fairy I'm thinking of. Maybe yeah, Tinkerbell. Like get, Tinkerbell's like a number two. Yeah. I don't know. She's kind of a brat. Yeah, and you know, brat, and then you got to clap to bl- to bring her back to life. It's like a whole thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've covered Joe Walton on the pod before, Andrew. I think mm-hmm. it was maybe last year, uh, you read Farthing. Okay. Um, it's episode four sixty seven. Boy, and- I'm I'm pretty sure I remember this now. Yeah, that you talk about it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> um, what what I remember from Is that our... the one that's like historical fiction. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> what I remember about Joe, and it's no surprise that this book is up to that. Is like that was a work of historical fiction that was kind of in conversation with other books of its uh, of that period that it was depicting and of the style, and then this is very much a you know, sci-fi fantasy book that is aware of and interested in the canon of sci-fi fantasy books. So um, she herself is kind of a, you know, she's a reader's author. You know, the like when people are like, oh, they're an, they're an author's author or something. Uh-huh. I, I think she's Walton, a reader, reader's author. Okay. Yeah, I, in my opinion, I think there are other are other authors who like her, but I think she rewards, uh, or her work so far, at least this one that I've read, rewards... Um, being a reader and uh, like mm-hmm. a wide, you know, somebody who's very interested in a wide range of books. So, mm-hmm. um, what do you? What did you relearn about Joe Walton? Sweet. <laughs> well, if you, if you don't remember, and I'm sure I I do, but I'm gonna recap it for everybody Great. at home too. Is yeah. Joe Walton is a Welsh Canadian author of science fiction and fantasy. He was born in the year 1964. Mm-hmm. Uh, she grew up in Wales. Uh, as a as a kid, but and then lived briefly in London and Lancaster, and moved to Canada in two thousand two. Um, she says of her Welsh roots, and I think that those you know there are some Welsh elements in this story, and, oh, yeah. and in a lot of the stories that she writes. But she says of her uh, of speaking Welsh specifically, she says she has quote a ten year old's fluency on grammar and vocab, but no problem whatsoever with pronunciation, mm. <laughs> which is funny. Yeah. Um, she started writing uh, as early as 13 years old, so that would have been in the late uh, 70s. But her first book, The King's Peace, was published in 2000. Whoa. Um, that, so that series of books that started with The King's Peace was uh, three books and was based in Arthurian Britain. And then once you get to uh, Farthing, which is the first sci-fi novel that she wrote, it starts to get. Uh, a little more sci-fi-ish, a little, yeah. It's it's like alternate history, cozy mystery, which is a quite a match. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, about among others, it's written in 2011, as we mentioned up top when we were razzing ourselves. It won the 2012 Nebula Award for Best Novel, the Hugo Award for Best Novel, and the British Fantasy Award. Um, 
It's her ninth novel overall. It's got semi-autobiographical elements in it. Um, and it's a, it's a standalone novel as far as I can tell. It's not one that's part of another trilogy or series that she's working on. I saw one um, quote where someone asked her if she was going to revisit it. And she said she tried writing a sequel and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I wholeheartedly uh, understand. Like it's If it just, don't work, don't force it. Yeah. It just feels... It's a character I would gladly spend more time with. But I think the book is more interested in her as a character than it is as like there being some next plot that you would, you know, have to spin up. So mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one, the, the, the big thing about this book's like publication history that people talk about is that she wrote it in 36 days. So these were, these were non-consecutive days. She did write well, between wait. February and May of 2008. It was not 36 days right in a row. Okay, 36 business days spread out over time. Well, not even business days, because that implies that it's, you know, like banker's hours and then there are weekends <laughs> and whatever. But no, it's just like 36 sessions. I clocked and, in, clocked and out. When you start when you start to think about that, like is every author who writes a book, do they are they really writing a little bit every every single day? I don't know. Like maybe if everybody just counted the day that they worked on the book and they're like, yeah, I wrote this in 44 days. It would sound more impressive. (laughs) I don't know if I ever write a book, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll start doing that. Yeah. I think you should be, you should be kind to yourself though. I do every once in a while see like the tweets going around that are like, Hey man, sometimes if you're a writer, that just means like sitting down and staring at the wall for a few hours. Oh, I've had those days so that you can type again later. Like, yeah, you know, you don't have to write every day that you're a writer, but this is a cool story. If you add up the hours, it's 36 mm-hmm. days. Anyway, 36 non-consecutive days between <laughs> February and May of 2008 is what I wrote. Sure. Um, it's I, I And so I have some notes on like the autobiographicalness of it. I have some notes on the magic system, which yeah. is very like... It's not wishy-washy. very system-y is my yeah. understanding. Yeah. It's, and yeah, and even like fairies and some of the mystical magical stuff that you mentioned is it's like not always a hundred percent clear that it actually exists or whether it's just in the in a character's imagination mm. so yeah so yeah that. some questions but I, I don't maybe we want to get into the book before we like dive all the way into that but that's up to you no i think that's fair i think we should get into the book after a break i i bet that the reason she has that 36 figure and why it probably was you know, not that any book is easy to write, but that she might like kind of quantify it like that is like because it is semi autobiographical, there's probably a bunch of this stuff in this book that was like as soon as she starting started putting pen to paper or whatever she was however she chose to write it, like it just kind of tumbled out. It sort of feels mm-hmm. that way. That it's yeah. like and it's, in thirty six non consecutive days. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, well <laughs> let's let's take at least thirty six non consecutive seconds for a break and then mm-hmm. I'll tell you about the book. Okay, sounds great. Craig, you know the best thing about computers? Um, I don't I know things about them. I don't think I know the best thing. When they're not like making society collapse or yeah. any of that other stuff. That's <laughs> I wouldn't say that that's the best thing. You don't have to talk to people on the phone if you don't want to, which wow, is that, great for me because I don't a, like doing it. That is a thing that computers have made easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and, it, you know, when you're trying to find a new doctor or healthcare provider, it gets even harder to talk to people on the phone. It's true. So that's why I want to tell you about ZocDoc, which is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient reviewed, take your insurance and available when you need them, Craig, when mm. you, Craig, need them. Oh, uh, you can read up on local doctors, get verified patient reviews, and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. So when you walk into that doctor's office, you are set up to see someone in your network who gets you. Whoa. Go to ZocDoc.com, choose the time slot and whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a video visit. And just like that, you're booked. Uh, find a doctor that's right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. I've used ZocDoc to schedule eye exams, dentist appointments. I need to use them to find an allergist because I, in the new house, I apparently have fall and spring allergies. Oh, now, which has been a fun, fun discovery. <laughs> uh, so yeah, going to use ZocDoc for that. <laughs> uh, the thing that I like the most about using ZocDoc is you can pick an appointment time right from the site and fill out a lot of the paperwork before you go to the, the doctor. That's so great, you don't have to actually. do it while you're sitting in the waiting room. Yeah. With a pen that you have to remember not to steal. Yeah, on a clipboard <laughs> when you've never touched a clipboard in years. <laughs> so go to ZocDoc.com slash overdue and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash overdue. ZocDoc.com slash overdue. Joe, Joe, what do you know? Tell me about this book by Joe Wall. That's what that book. That's what that joke was. Oh, about. that's <laughs> what do you know? Um, I don't know. What do you? Where do you want to start? The book okay, is. Okay, so I've got a like a I think I think a positive but with critiques review from Washington Post about this book that I actually think. It opens up a lot of avenues of conversation. Okay. So I'm going to quote this. Uh, More than anything else, among others, is a love letter to the literature of the fantastic and to uh, science fiction fandom. This is problematic as well as charming because nothing much happens in the novel. And then to your point earlier about uh, Joe Walton being a writer's, a reader's writer. Uh, too often, Walton preaches to the literary fangirl choir in addition to the authors already mentioned. She name-checks works by Ellen Montgomery, Charles Dickens, Thomas Hardy, Paul Anderson, Anne McCaffrey, Virgil, John Brunner, <laughs> Angela Brazil, Enid Blyton, Frank Richards, Ursula Le Guin, John Boyd, Judith Kerr, Roger Zelazny, Zedig Henderson, Walter M. Miller, and Robert Silverberg. And that's only in the first two chapters. Mm. One leaves this book humming the titles which overwhelm Walton's delicate, lovely handling of the magical elements. Hmm. So, yeah, just like, what is the, what's the book feel like? How does it feel yeah. as a, as a, like a sci-fi novel? Hmm. Or would you characterize no, it more it, as sci-fi or fantasy? It's fantasy? more fantasy okay, and... Yeah, how, how does it fit into that, like that tradition or like other yeah. books in that genre that we've read recently? <laughs> sure. Cause it feel, it sounds like it's a little more like indeterminate and maybe not hitting all the notes that you'd expect going into a fantasy novel. I, and I think that is actually maybe what people who really, really like it have responded to actually, okay. because mm-hmm. it is, it does not feel like a work of genre fiction it feels like a it's not and i wouldn't even say it's young adult even though it features a you know teenage protagonist and might have some of the trappings and and the pov is younger um but it is not uh i don't know it doesn't have the same 
like it doesn't have a quest in the same way. There are questy mm-hmm. things that happen. There's no refusal of the call. There's no like nobody's hiding a dragon egg under their bed. No, <laughs> and, and and what's kind of interesting about it is that like the the is there really... a map when when you open the book? Is there a map in the front? No, there's not. Well, a then map. what are we even? Where, how am I supposed to know where I am? <laughs> it is formatted like a diary. It's an epistolary novel, um, and so it is dated you go through you know i don't know maybe it's six to eight months maybe mm-hmm. nine or ten at the most mm-hmm. um in does she start every post with a gap like sorry i haven't written in so long <laughs> no actually <laughs> okay um, but what... i'm gonna does she do any posts that are just like now nah, i'm gonna start posting more <laughs> Uh, the you get a mix of lengths actually. So like there are times where it is just like had a bad day, don't have much to say, move mm-hmm. on to the next post. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some that are really long. There are you know rhythmically she uh, Walton does kind of can mix it mix the like pace of the novel up that way actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing about it being a lot of name checking other works is functionally the way that that seems to that that plays out in the writing is that like every third or fourth entry in the diary of any length will probably open with like two paragraphs uh, where she's just talking about whatever book that she just read she reads very fast and she reads all the time the main character does right Uh, and that's that uh, i think the long list of authors that i just stumbled through is probably an artifact of that yes Yes. um and her her name is maury um m-o-r-i uh short for either morwenna or morgana i believe um and she yeah she like does not fit in with other girls her age at the school that she winds up going to. She's very distant from a lot of people, but some of the relationships that she does have and does develop, a lot of it is built around kind of this shared love of writing, and some of it is a love of science fiction fantasy, but then there are other characters who are kind of pushing her into reading other stuff, Mm -hmm. and one way that she just connects with people is to like give someone a recommendation or a book or take the book that they recommended to her, go read it and then have an idea about it. And usually you get, you know, a paragraph in the novel of what she thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you wind up what it allows her to do. Walt, what it allows Walton to do is have these like one-off little essays that feel appropriate to a diary. Um, in the sense that, like, it gets reflected in the plot, maybe, but it's really just a way for a character to express an opinion about something that then just, like, deepens your understanding of the character. So here's an mm-hmm. example. Um, she's talking about just sex and and how she does and does not think about it and what she may or may not be interested in. Sure. Uh, and she says, you know, she's talking about other stories of so sex. Uh, necessary evil to produce children. That's normal. And when you look at those girls on the bus and my mother and her boyfriends and the girls who creep into each other's beds at night, and uh, on the other hand, I do have sexual feelings. And Triton and Heinlein and the charioteer have made me think that actually sex itself is neutral and it's society demonizing it that makes it icky. And the whole sex change thing in Triton, there must be a sort of spectrum of sexuality with most people somewhere in the middle, drawn to men Mm -hmm. and women, and some off on the ends, me at one end and Ralph and Laurie on the other. And she kind of goes on from there. Um, and she comes at the end. She just says, "From now on, I'm going to be positive about sex." <laughs> and it's like there's not an organic way 
to fit that into like a plot or dialogue scene. Mm-hmm. So she just gives herself the freedom with this structure to have a character just writing in her diary about it and drawing connections from all the stuff that she's reading and from the characters that she knows and stuff. Yeah, you you can get away with more uh, tell not show in a format like this, I think, like instead yes. of having to show her having like a lot of sexual encounters with people uh-huh. that show mm-hmm. her attitude toward it changing over time, she can just write it down. Yep. And it's not that we don't get one or two scenes that like then bump up against her feelings about sex or about mm-hmm. romance or whatever, mm-hmm. but then they are, they have been colored by us getting essays like this, you know? Um, so that's like the overall, I don't know, it might be a thing that turns people off about the book is all of this kind of name checky stuff. Yeah. I don't, I did not find it a turn off. I found it just a, a way into this character. Um, and she's a kid who is like really invested in this stuff, but she's not precious about any of it. She's really enthusiastic does it i mean it doesn't continue at that the the name dropping element of it it doesn't continue at the same rate that it does in that passage i just read does it cuz i f- i feel like if it did that would get, that would get tiring uh in in an individual passage it might but those are not all of the book okay um and and i guess it it is easier to take when it's in like the second half of the book and she is finally found a community with this like library group that meets to talk about books. Mm -hmm. So like at at that point they're having weekly discussions around different authors and novels. And so when she's talking about them, you're mostly reading those sections to get at the little character bits and get at her developing relationships. Sure. Um, So yeah, the, the, the like constant, if you are not at all interested I don't know why you're reading this book if you're mm-hmm. not interested in like other books in a way that feels a weird. That's a weird thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does. I don't know. It's a character who loves books. You got to deal with that, I guess. I yeah. 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 Um, well, I guess it's at least good that it's a character who likes real books and not like you, yo, have, to, you have to read about somebody reading made up books. Which that I think would, would be. Make it worse. Yes. That would actually be really uh, a really difficult uh circle to square what mm-hmm. whatever the idiom is it would be Needle hard to, to do thread it would be, <laughs> it would hard. be hard to do um, hard to make it interesting because she yeah if she had to make up stuff it wouldn't work and it does kind of collapse the distance between the reader and the character um in a way that like that's what the book is interested in um yeah so she as a character maury is um like i don't know the book is called among others I think she Walton said it's like somebody helped her with that title or suggested it. Sure. Who and are it, the others that she's among amongst? The world. The world. Okay. Um I, I think the uh, all, we're all we are all of us among <laughs> others. True. Yes. Um I think the intention of the original phrase is that it comes from like this person wrote these books, such and such, such and such, such and such, among others. Like it's also a reference to like kind of a bibliography. Um, mm-hmm. and so Maury is, she's not a stranger in a strange land, but she is separated from the family that she preferred and is now with a family that she doesn't really know who then ships her off to a boarding school that she doesn't really fit in. 
Sure. Um, so bef- yeah, I don't know that any, especially if you're talking about like English-ish, like or English adjacent. I guess I don't want to insult anybody yeah. who's from Wales. No, but, yeah, sure. Um, I don't think anybody in any of these books gets to their boarding school and is like, "This, this is the place where <laughs> I belong." It's true. Yeah. This is where I have come to fit in amongst my peers uh-huh. <laughs> in an environment that makes me comfortable. And it is a boarding school that has like houses that compete for points. And but that's just like, you know, that's just a thing over there. Is there I guess. made up sports? No, there are real sports that they play, I think. <laughs> okay. oh, God. Um, there. But she doesn't play any of the sports. She walks with a cane after a car accident before the events of this book. I believe that is one of the autobiographical yeah. elements. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like she's a Welsh person at an English boarding school. She walks with a cane and none of the girls treat her really well about that. Um, she's the only person in her school who reads for fun Mm -hmm. and like she wants to be a poet. Um, and she's really interested in books as we talked about and like no one else. And she does know it. She does in fact know it. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. That's good. And... Unlike really any other character that we meet in the book, she can talk to fairies. She can see and talk to fairies that are out in the world. And what's the deal with these fairies? Yeah. Are they like do they do they keep the the gears of the world turning? Are they like puckish like prankster figures? I don't know. What's the deal with them? They are sort of like um kind of creepy be sometimes beautiful spirits that mm. are they are not of the kind of like dryad naiad like representation of nature type sure. kind of fairy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um she often talks about them being in places of like ruined industrialization <laughs> wow, um, probably a lot of it yes and this is not something i knew about whales before bunch of, bunch of bunch of central pennsylvania fairies you know you know what i mean you know Old steel towns that have a lot of fairies that, apparently that is i was reading some interview she gave about this book where she was talking about um why there were not as many welsh immigrants to the united states as mm-hmm. like scots and irish mm-hmm. and it was because there was all of this like natural resource coal and iron and stuff that like wales had its own boom towns of like british corporations coming in and just ravaging the land and setting up factory towns and then they all kind of started to decay when they ran out of whatever they were Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the so that is depicted in this book and there's this air of you know magic around those places and these fairies congregate often in those places um where it's sort of like you know the the part of the the version of a post apocalypse where like grass has grown on the stuff as opposed to it just being a wasteland, it's okay. like you know flowers are sprouting out of old ironworks and st- you so know. they don't they don't represent like nature but they do they are like drawn to a vibe I guess yes like they are very industrial vibe okay. they're ethereal <laughs> beings drawn to a vibe mm-hmm. and they know about magic they are aware of it and but they don't seem able to do much of it themselves Mm -hmm. there are people who can do magic and often if you can then that means you can see the fairies there is some stuff in this book and uh maury doesn't really know how any of it works but there's like for a lot of people being able to see fairies goes away once you like 
get through adolescence, but that's not it's not a hard and fast rule. It's not like like, rug, a, like how rugrats yeah. the babies can only talk yes. to the other babies. Yes, it's very yeah, it's exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um and uh the fairies if they want something to happen, they have to like kind of tell or ask the people that can see them. They usually communicate in a version of Welsh but never in like direct sentences they don't like talking like riddles or anything but they kind of just will say a few words that you have to guess the meaning of um, so it's like living with a three-year-old <laughs> yeah they're three-year-olds who haunt places for vibes uh-huh um <laughs> and they will ask you to do something some sort of magic so like one of the pivotal scenes of this book is this sort of head fairy that she goes and visits sometime in her hometown that she has dubbed Glorfindel, but that's not actually its name. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a Tolkien reference? It if I, I she think makes that she it, loves Tolkien. This kid, I, I believe it is a is a direct Tolkien reference rather than like, like a, a yeah. pastiche Tolkien. Yeah, yeah it's um, I believe Glorfindel without he might he's either some Silmarillion guy or he might be like the guy who rides out to meet. Cool. Uh, okay. Oh. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, no, just just that she loves He's in Tolkien. the Fellowship of the Ring. I don't know. Okay. She um she personally, the character thinks that Tolkien probably was able to see fairies. Like his understanding of how the world works and how magic works and his books to her like speak to understanding this whole part of reality. Um Glorfindel needs her help at one point in the book opening a door on All Hallows Eve so that dead spirits can go to wherever it is they go. Mm-hmm. And so he he can't do it for whatever reason. Um, and that's only his name because that's what she calls him. She knows that that's not actually his name. He doesn't have a name. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one or two other things like that in the book where he's like, hey, need you to do a thing. And she kind of has to figure out how to do it and whether or not she wants to do it. And that's that's most of the magic in the book with one other mm-hmm. exception. Um, but it's not like this. It's not like she has to learn to be a magician to get through with the world and overcome some evil. I mean, her mom might be like an evil witch, which <laughs> well is underexplored. <laughs> Whomst among us, I guess. Purpose. Um, it's very like her, her twin sister died after they were both hit by a car fighting their mom because their mom was going to take over the world with evil Mm -hmm. magic. And that's about all of the details you get. Like, it's not not part of a prophecy. It's not part of some big thing. It's just her mom is bad and can do bad magic and wanted to hurt them and did. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the fairies wanted her to stop, or her mom. Um, and so after this has happened, starts the book where she is now not living with her grandfather and aunt that she likes. She's living with her dad, who she doesn't know at all because he was not part of her life, and his three sisters, who may or may not be witches, and they <laughs> ship her off. Probably depends on who you ask. If you ask her, they <laughs> she she believes she comes to believe that they are. Mm-hmm. But it's in the way that, as you alluded to, the, the lot of the magic in this book, because it is through her diary, 
you could do a full reading of this book thinking it was all p Sure. Um, or things are just p Or some sort of illusion or hallucination or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is I think both Walton and Maury, the character, would tell you, well, that's just how the magic works, baby. Like, you can't uh-huh. prove it. That's what makes it magical. It's sort of like the secret. Um, I think what makes something magical is having like a point system and like different, <laughs> uh, different like types of magic. That no, okay, all right. Fine. You can, as as she says, you can always find chains of coincidence to disprove magic. That's because it doesn't happen the way it does in books. It makes these chains of coincidences. That's what it is. It's like if you snapped your fingers and produced a rose, but it was because someone on an airplane dropped a rose at just the right time for it to land in your hand. There was a real person in a real airplane in a real rose, but that doesn't mean the reason you have the rose in your hand isn't because you did the magic. Mm-hmm. There's another... I guess I guess that's just talking about how magic would happen in the real world, because I can... like. The way that you know magic happens in a book is because somebody throws a fireball at yeah. somebody else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And she she even says, Maury says, like, I, w- I want magic to be like what I see in stories where it's this discrete thing that has meaning and stuff. And magic just doesn't want to work that way. Mm-hmm. And the tough thing about it is that you can't always tell if it worked, but you know you might have done something. Um, so she, I'll give you another example and then I'll explain how this plays into the rest of the book. Okay. She talks about magic and she's waiting for the bus going back to school. And she says, I wanted the bus to come and I wasn't exactly sure when it was due. If I reached magic into that, imagined the bus just coming around the corner. It isn't as if I'd be materializing a bus out of nowhere. The bus is somewhere on its round. There are two buses an hour and for the bus to be coming right when I wanted it, it must have started on its route at a precise time earlier and people will have caught it and got on and off at particular times and got to where they're going at different times. For the bus to be where I want it, I'd have to change all that. The times they got up, maybe the whole timetable back to whenever it was written so that people caught the bus at different times every day for months so that I didn't have to wait today. (laughs) So (laughs) magic has this like potential to be a real butterfly effect thing mm-hmm. that she's very worried about um the 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 effect of because one like thing she just she is she worried about wanting something for herself yes. that then makes it yeah. make something bad happen for somebody else is or that the deal? or if she wants something and gets it did she actually get it or did she just kind of like is it cheapened because it happened because of magic? So the example that I'm thinking about is when she winds up with this uh, group of folks at the local library. They're not part of the school library, though the school librarian, Miss Carol, rules. She should get a medal. She's an awesome character who's really kind to this kid mm-hmm. and is just a good person. And it's nice to read a book where a good person is good and that's it. And like nothing, yeah. nothing bad happens. She's just a cool person. Yeah, that's kind of nice. Um but she is she's getting like she thinks she's getting like bombarded by evil magic by her mom at night and she <laughs> so she does this protection spell but the other thing she does during the protection spell is she wants i think she borrows a word from vonnegut a caress it's the opposite of a grand falloon 
Um, okay, great. That's what she said. I don't know. Grand Falloon is like a bunch of idiots getting together to do something, and a Karas is a group of like like-minded people with a purpose that form a community. That um, sounds vaguely fam- familiar. I don't remember to me. which like, book we, we it's supposed to be from. We haven't done Vonnegut in a done, while. We haven't done Vonnegut in a while, mm-hmm. but we've done him several times. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Um, put put a pin in that. Um, mm. She wants a Karas so bad. She wants to actually belong to a group of people. And so she does, she puts that in the spell. And then within a week, the local librarian is talking to her and he's like, you know, we have this club where we get together and talk about science. You should come if you're mm-hmm. allowed. Like, you you know, there's a lot of rules about her leaving school during the week and whatever. And he's like, you should try and get permission to come to come. And the librarian from the school brings her and she meets some friends. And that's where this boy, Wim, who ultimately becomes like her boyfriend, comes from. And the whole time she's like, did it, do any of these people actually like me or do they only like me because I did magic on them? And Mm -hmm. that kind of freaks her out and she doesn't like it. She doesn't, she swears off magic for a bit because she's like, I don't like the idea that I manipulated people based on my own desires. Sure. Um, and that's just kind of that's the tension of magic in this book is it's like you want to change things about the world and maybe you have the power to do it but are the ways that you go about it actually what you want or are you going to get yeah. unintended consequences or something That's the Guardian review that I I read. I read a few reviews of, of the is book. Is that the Le Guin the, review or somebody else? Uh, is that Le Guin? Let's check and see. Yeah, it is it is Ursula K. Le Guin. Hey, Ursula. Uh, <laughs> Hi. So Ursula K. Le Guin via the Guardian says, <laughs> among others is a funny, thoughtful, acute, and absorbing story all the way through, but in the magic parts, it is more than that. When Maury realizes that perhaps her new friends did not choose to offer her friendship but were forced to do so by the spell she laid upon them. Her moral anguish is that of anyone who honestly faces the responsibility of power and it is not soon or easily resolved. So it sounds like the, to the extent that the magic system might be too like vague or wishy-washy to people like us who just like go off like yeah. people playing a PlayStation two game. Every time we encountered a new magic system, yeah. <laughs> It, it sounds like it's like it's trying to do something bigger thematically by yep. by being vague and, and by having so much uncertainty in it. In you know, that is similar in a way to what we like about other magic systems though. Cause like we dig into a magic system <laughs> and we mm-hmm. like its mechanics or whatever, but then mm-hmm. I always like it when they also kind of reinf like they reflect a value system of the world or kind of a, a hierarchy that the author is saying has been imposed on this world or something. Mm-hmm. It's and always like, I always, if you're going to make magic be a cause, like a direct cause and effect thing, I want you, I want to have a fully yeah. fleshed out system that I need like a spreadsheet to keep track of. I don't want it to be, and not to keep picking on any author in particular, but I don't want it to be, a thing where a bunch of like 12 year olds say like pigeon Latin and Mm. stuff happens. Okay. Sure. (laughs) Well, and what's interesting about that pigeon Latin magic system is that it does kind of do the little bit of both of like, you have to do specific ingredients and things. And then sometimes there's some spells that just, if you have a big enough heart, you do the spell better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is more like that, even though there are little totems and things that Mori will use um, 
to, to cast some of the magic. And ultimately, the supernatural stuff in this book, I think, is really focused on her relationship to her mother and on her relationship to her late sister and then whether or not she can have relationships with other people. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's what it's doing because there's a pivotal scene. It's it's at the end of that Le Guin review. Um, she kind of describes it in detail, but there's a whole scene with the All Hallows Eve, like open a portal for the dead to go through thing mm-hmm. where she sees her sister's spirit. And it's like a very moving passage about literally whether or not you can let go of someone and whether or not their memory can let go of you. And it's clearly this like character's first real and very personal. It's her twin like version of grief. Um, And all of that is like played out in this kind of like, what is this real? Is this what, how does this? And I I think there's quotes (laughs) from Walton where she's like, I wrote this thing. With entirely with the notion that it's real, like there's mm-hmm. no, you know, because in 38 non consecutive days, 38 non consecutive days, I laid out all the reasons why it's real. Um, the the guy Wim, the boyfriend, he can towards the end of the book, he can sort of see some of the fairies, um, but again, it's all through her diary. So we have to, I mean, I don't think we have to like take it with a grain of salt. I read the book pretty much like it all happened, mm-hmm. um, but it is it does lend it a distinct flavor when when you're not quite sure Um, sure the other thing i just really liked about this book are a lot of the different interpersonal dynamics and like family members that she has relationships with like the way that she has to connect with her dad for the first time and they they share a love of books so they bond over that but like there's this really wonderful awkward scene where she plans to go somewhere with her Boy, she's she's getting like acupuncture for her leg, uh, and her boyfriend's gonna go there with her by train. But her dad shows up randomly to give her a ride, and so mm-hmm. she has to be like, "Dad, can we go pick up my boyfriend that you don't know about? Because I can't call him beforehand, and now you have to meet <laughs> my boyfriend, and you guys have to hang out while I get acupuncture for an hour." <laughs> and like, oh, that's really charming. Um, she she writes letters to like the actual family members that she does like, and it's all really thoughtful. And um, I don't know. It's just a lot of that stuff is the, the part of the book where it feels like quote unquote, nothing's happening, Mm -hmm. but it is kind of coming of agey in a way that, you know, like the fairies, I was there for the vibe. Sure. Of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything from the autobiographical stuff that you found, Andrew, that, you know, is lingering. No, I mean, it's, you know, it's, the, it's the thing with the cane. Um, she's, she's talked about the book being about the, uh, quote, the experience of having books instead of people for friends and solace. Mm, yeah. Um, she's talked about the experience of being like a Welsh transplant in English boarding school. She's talked about her experience with her mother, uh, being a paranoid schizophrenic yep. and that being difficult. Um, yep. she is, she has said that the book is not meant to be read as like strictly autobiographical, just that some of the elements like the, the setting and the time period, uh, she said that it is meant to mythologize parts of her life. Oh, sure. So, I mean, like, like the book taking a vaguely, 
but not like in your face magical <laughs> approach to <laughs> like certain elements of things that have happened to her. Yeah. Oh, I didn't I meant to mention this when you talked about the time period and it matching up with her life, but because it's set in like 79 and 80, mm-hmm. I think. Um, there's some fun stuff in the library book club where they talk about like some of them have been to cons and like con culture is just starting like conferences like like uh like fan cons like, yes yeah okay um and like they're huge over in america but there are some here and you can and just you could go and meet people and have conversations and it's this beautiful like time capsule of pre-commercialized con culture of like <laughs> the not the industrial you know complex as it were but uh you know people just trying to get together (laughs) with their nerd friends um so yeah it's just really there's a lot of really charming smaller stuff in this book that i think is a fun offset to the fact that it doesn't have what i found to be some like overwrought save everybody thing like yeah Mm -hmm. um this kind of there's like some stuff towards the end where Glorfindel is like, hey, if you help me with this, like your sister can help us do magic and that'd be dope. And she it would it would be a terrible cost for Mori to do that. So, you know, she has to make a, a big decision about that and what she wants to to do with her life now that it's she's kind of starting over having lost her twin and everything was upended. Sure, yeah. Um and I think that is like from a character study perspective maybe one of the things that i'll remember the most about this book is it's like it's a teenager who's gone through something incredibly awful and is deciding what or is trying to figure out and then decide if she wants to go through with like what life looks like now and that's a lot of folks go through that and that's probably what people have responded to here so Mm -hmm. um in addition to like hey if you want to read a book where there's like 300 authors name checked i think you can find people who've made little wiki pages uh-huh. of all the novels that are checked here um and she does a pretty good job of like yes there's a lot of sci-fi fantasy authors but because there are librarians being like you should also read like like let's talk about plato or like you should read this other book that you would be interested in um it's putting those kind of genre authors alongside the quote unquote canon in a way that's fun. So mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Makes me want to go to Wales. Makes me want to go hang out in Wales. Huh. Maybe like meet a magical creature or you just go do have a li- some good do tea. a live show in Wales. Hey, if you're Welsh and listen and let us know. Have you met a fairy? Have you met Joe Walton? Just tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she lives in Canada, but maybe she goes back. Canadian listeners, tell us, have you met Joe Walton? Have mm-hmm. you been to Wales? <laughs> this is what all else? about engagement, Andrew. What, are, what, are, <laughs> what kinds of like fish can you name? I don't know. Like, If you're <laughs> listening and you're a fairy from Wales, like, mm-hmm. tell us what industrial ruin you hang out in. Mm-hmm. And uh, why? And why? <laughs> And what magic system do you like from which Final Fantasy game? Anyway, Mm -hmm. thanks for letting me tell you about this book, Andrew. I really enjoyed reading it, and I would have gladly spent more time in the diary of of Maury and hanging out with her. So, well, it's I mean, Joe Walton tried, yeah, 
to let you hang out with them some more and she couldn't do Heartbreaker. it. Heartbreaker. I don't want, and that's not an indictment of Joe Walton. Nope. I don't think it's just like the book is, the book is what it is and, and like deal, deal with it. That's refreshing. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was very grateful that to, to like read a fantasy book that did not have like, and here's what I think the rest of the series might be up to. Like it was just kind of, this is what yeah, the, the, the is. last, the last part of the last chapter was not like a, it was like, a witch like crawling out of a hole or something <laughs> yeah it's true mm-hmm. um so if you want to answer any of the questions that i just posed to our listenership uh you can do so by writing in at overduepod at gmail.com hit us up on facebook and twitter at overdue pod uh thanks to a bunch of people for reaching out in the past week including john megan starfish chick marcy kylie michael mick jen amanda and many more uh, Nick Larangis composed our theme music. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. If you click those, you go to bookshop.org. You get to buy a book and we get a cut and you get a book and your local independent bookseller gets a sale and everybody wins and everybody's happy. Yeah. Um, Patreon.com slash overduepod is our, a place where you can support us more directly if you want access to our Discord server, to bonus episodes re- recordings, to uh, our long read project. We're just wrapping up goosebumps and uh i think we know what our next thing is going to be so yeah. you know stand by for that announcement at some point in the future uh and then spooktober is coming up craig yep. do you want to tell them god willing in the creek don't rise what is our spooktober schedule right we now? have the schedule we'll see <laughs> if it spooks us too hard uh yeah. Ma- man plans and pumpkins laugh because it's spooktober <laughs> The best plans of lice and men. Um, I didn't want to talk about God like twice in one outro. I feel like that would be too. <laughs> okay. It would just, just be too many times to sure. insist that like God had a plan for <laughs> our podcast. Sure. And we're kicking off Spooktober with Carmilla by Jay Sheridan Lefanu. Some OG <laughs> vampire fiction. Uh, followed by The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. That's the first hellraiser story ever um then we will likely be reading undead girl gang by lily anderson it's our patrons poll choice of the month then a certain hunger with our friends uh ct and kw it's a that's a cannibal book a certain hunger it's about like a sexy cannibal murderer lady yeah uh (laughs) and then the awakening the first vampire diaries book by lj smith i believe we're recording that uh with natasha from unspoiled look forward to that so tune in for all those books we're gonna read them and tell them to you (laughs) and until we do that everybody thank you so much for listening and try to be happy Until we do that, everybody, thank you so much for listening and try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.